Hello, and welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. I'm Simone de Rochefort, supervising video producer at Polygon, and I'm here today with Brianna Wu, executive director of Rebellion Pack, and Christina Warren, senior developer advocate at GitHub. Welcome back to the show, Christina. Thank you, thank you. I'm glad to be back. Thank you um, very much for the the, the chicken, um, uh, <laughs> like a like feel better gift. It was fantastic, and it, and it definitely did help me um, in between my bouts of sleeping the the whole week. So, <laughs> so, so here's I the very thing: I'm that. texting Grant. I'm trying to get a hold of him on Twitter to make sure, like, because I wanted to send it to you earlier in the week, and I'm like, I don't know if Christina's going to be home, right? <laughs> so I'm texting Grant and trying to get his attention, and finally we just swapped phone numbers. So in the future, Aww. when you get sick, we will be able to coordinate and make sure you get soup. Wonderful. Wonderful. That's very sweet. That's very sweet. I'm so glad. I, I imagine you just napping and then waking up, rolling over, grabbing a piece of chicken. And that's basically exactly what it was. Falling you're not even you're not even wrong. Like I was in your like, hands. Basically, I like had it like on like my bedside table. I was like, this is where I'm putting the bucket. And yes, yeah, so <laughs> nice. I'm going to pass out, then wake up and like grab like another piece. Yeah, that's exactly but it. I I okay. Look, I like fried chicken, but I like like a bite of fried chicken and then more than that it's like ooh, ooh, it's you know it's like pizza where it's it tastes good but too much of it i know it's gonna make me sicker is that just me or this is not a condition that i share with you but i do okay. i, was gonna I, say, I don't either <laughs> i do i as do i because honestly like not like being able to gorge myself on pizza or fried chicken would both make me re- make me really sad but I also am a person who door dashed Red Lobster at 12 o'clock this afternoon. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. Well, we have a very exciting show for you uh, today. Our main topics, of course, are an update on the Sam Bankman Freed case. We didn't get Christina's take on it last week. So we're going to uh, chat with her about that and, of course, uh, the latest update. And then we'll be talking about, sorry, our other least favorite uh, we have to man. Uh, uh, Elon Musk um, and the latest updates at Twitter. Um, who should we nominate for our good person in tech of the week? Let, let's think about that throughout the show because we, we had talked previously about how we keep covering these awful people and we wanted to cover a good person in tech. So let's just our, think about our who our good person is. Our guest today was actually asking me about that. He was asking if we ever actually came up with one. So, Oh, God. <laughs> well, we'll <laughs> see we about that. All right, so let's get right into it. Top story of the day, Sam Bankman-Fried is getting extradited to the United States. Wednesday, December 22nd, theoretically, uh, today, it's today, he has waived his right to formal extradition proceedings and is just coming on over. Uh, Once he's back in Manhattan, he'll be appearing before a judge for a bail hearing. Uh, Previously in the Bahamas, he was not given bail uh, when he was detained there. Um... CNN says if he is convicted on all eight charges of fraud and conspiracy, he could face life in prison. And Brianna, when you were texting us about this in chat earlier, you dropped the the stat 115 years. Is that, that is correct? Is that correct? I saw that with the reporting today, 100. percent I, I think it was Axios. So I guess this is my question, Christina. You wanna you wanna do some betting here? Uh, we can't go through this again. <laughs> no, no. Here's the thing. Uh, I would totally need to wait to see like what the charges are, and I would not. I'm okay. also of the opinion 100 that he's going to plead. Uh, he's going to deal with the feds. He's going to sing like a canary. 
That's um, fair. That's fair. He's it he's going to sing like a canary. He's going to. He, I mean, he's already the. He's got. I think. I don't remember who his lawyers are. Um. Oh, they're Ghislaine Maxwell's lawyers. Um. That's at least right. who the first lawyers. Are. Well, I mean, you know, look, you've got to try, try to find like experienced defense team who uh, is is experienced with with defending very unpopular people. Um. That. And, and and if you can't get the the Casey Anthony guy, uh, who's like <laughs> the best, like like that guy is, if I'm ever charged with anything, we are going to um um Jose Baez. Like that is, like I will. And I, I still need I, to I, write again, that down just for my notes. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it will be all of my money, all of your money, all of everybody's money. Basically, I'll be like <laughs> Mr. Mr. Baez, please, please, please represent me because he's the best. But if you can't you get should, him, you should like get a safe deposit box. And yeah. then, like, send us the key, and then we just See, get an envelope exactly. in the mail, and it's his name and a bunch of money in there. Uh, no, one hundred percent. Like, honestly, like, there's like there, there's been a part of me who's like, should I just have him on retainer just in case? <laughs> no, I, I'm teasing, but like, uh, because I don't actually, I'm not going to commit crimes. But, like, not, but, well, but I, have, I, you should, yeah. It's, let's say that. Let's get a an isolated recording of you saying that you're not going to commit crimes. Really clear. Not- like, everybody, be really quiet for a second. Christina, what are you planning? to not do this year i'm not going to commit crimes i'm not gonna she's commit looking crimes. at us right now and winking isn't she simone she's got this big like okay christina turn, just totally off your camera. turn off your camera <laughs> i'm not gonna commit crimes no um no I, i'm not i'm not but no but uh so I heard some legal analysts, or I don't even know if they're legal analysts i heard some analyst who was free to go on television this morning so that says a lot because it is, uh, you know, Christmas week and not a lot of people want to go on TV. So whatever analysts they were able to get on Fox Business, because that was what was on at my parents' house, was was talking about how they were trying to – he was going to be doing like the Madoff playbook, which actually sounds accurate. So Madoff, uh, before he went to jail where he eventually died, and and, mm. and I don't see SBF getting anything like that sort of jail sentence – um, even if he were convicted, I, there are just many things that I think that make these scenarios different, uh, even if the amount of money is not. Um, uh, Madoff was able to basically um, be on house arrest the entire time that they were leading up to the lawsuit and then or the, the, the his criminal charges and as well as during the the, the uh, trial itself. And um, I feel certain that that's that's what they're trying to do. They're going to get him bonded. Um, and I, you know, how long he'll send, he'll spend in, uh, in jail, uh, I, I imagine will be pretty minimal. Uh, and then, um, they'll have him bonded and then we'll go from there. But yeah, uh, he, I, and I, the, the, their theory was, and this actually does sound accurate. The reason that he agreed to the extradition was because it probably feels like the lawyers felt like they could mm. get him out on bond, um, immediately. And the conditions in the jail there are honestly probably better than the conditions of the jail in Bahamas. That's so. what I was going to say is uh, the CNN piece I was looking at mentioned like the uh, obviously out, outside of the the crimes that he did jail conditions allegedly. are universal. Allegedly. The alleged crimes that he has yes, alleged. done. Allegedly done. Like jail conditions are terrible for everyone. Jails are uh uh, something in in dire need of complete dismantling or incredible change um designed to hold people who have not you know uh, like we're saying with Sam Bankman Freed uh, even though we have our personal feelings on his guilt he hasn't been charged with anything yet and to hold somebody in conditions like the ones in the jail in the Bahamas like the ones here in in Manhattan um in uh the Manhattan Correction Center it's inhumane um 
whether or not he's a, a flight risk personally. So yeah, I, I understand why, you know, he has the opportunity with his his fancy expensive lawyers to to come over here and, and his potentially parents. and his parents, yeah, to get yeah. out on on bail, um, which is not an opportunity that uh everyone has. No, I it's not. I yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I was just gonna say, you know, don't forget his parents are law professors at yeah. Yale. So yep. uh, Stan- you know, are they at Yale or Stanford? I think uh, well, one of them anyway, because his are big, yeah. big school. I mean, he, he, he might be sta- <laughs> he might be Stanford, and and maybe it's Ellison who are who are Yale. I can't remember now. Um, uh, but uh, whichever school he didn't go to, but mm-hmm. yeah, um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So Yale, Stanford, whatever. Anyway, his yeah. parents are law professors, so that helps. Yeah, we were uh, discussing last week uh, creating a tier list of our uh, our rocket criminals. You know, like S oh, yeah. tier, A tier, et cetera, et cetera, putting Elizabeth Holmes on there, Anna Delvey, oh, yeah. uh, Sam Bankman fried I think we did. Billy McFarland. Billy, oh, my God, Billy. Um, We did eventually come to the conclusion that he was an S tier, specifically because of, like, all of the people who he's defrauded out of their, their livelihoods. I would love to hear your input on that, Christina. So I think it depends on what he's charged with again. Okay. That's, that's going to determine it for me. Okay. Because... Because because for me, like, yeah, that, for, for me, that's what's going to determine it. That's fair. because that's because fair. I don't know what they're alleging because there's a lot of stuff and there could be a whole lot of people involved. Ultimately, the buck should stop with him. He's the CEO. But I, I think that it's uh, misguided to feel like he's the only person who was doing crimes. Yeah. Um, I mean, and was part of the, the money fraud. I mean, look, we have to wait for the evidence to come out. It is not impossible to believe that it's other people at FBX absconded with those billions in the, the side account that we're talking about. Like, I'm yeah. not the, the look, looking at the evidence as a whole, there's every reason like the accountability is with him, but you know, it's not established to like a criminal level that he is the person directly behind that. So I, I agree with you. I think his final ranking is very much going to determine on what specifically they're able to prove. But yeah. I mean, I, we were talking last week, like I, I love Elizabeth Holmes, but this feels worse. Yeah. Like, oh, ultimately Elizabeth oh, Holmes is screwing over some, some Walgreens patients and some, some, you know, and some rich investors. Well, you know? I, I think that Elizabeth Holmes had the potential to be much more damaging, right? Like I think mm-hmm. that the, the culpability of her fraud and and deceit was Agreed. worse because it was healthcare, right? Because mm-hmm. it's people's lives potentially at stake, right? Where where you're making these big claims. Um, I think that if she hadn't defrauded very, very rich people, I don't think that there ever would have been a trial. And I don't think she would have she would be going to jail. Um, I think that it would have been, you know, a settlement thing and 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 that would have been done with it. Uh, but she happened to make the mistake of, ha- of of defrauding very, very rich people and very, very powerful people. Right. So so with him, it's almost the inverse in a way, because we still don't know the exact. And this is the other reason why I, I don't feel like I can rank him yet either, even though I think that like on the face of it, a lot of his uh, the, the alleged fraud uh, is really, really bad. We don't know the exposure level yet, and it doesn't – it's not clear other than, like, Kevin O'Reilly, like, how – and potentially, like, Tom Brady, like, how many people who were rich were really caught up in this. And even with them, it's like, okay, Kevin O'Reilly, a lot of his money was – that he lost in FTX – was money that FTX gave him, right? Mm -hmm. And and, and same thing with with Tom Brady. Like, I don't believe that Tom Brady put any of his real money 
into it, right? They they made him an ambassador and gave him, yeah. you know, a small percentage of the company to deflog things. But I don't think he actually put any of his real money into it. So the people that get hurt are either the the institutional investment funds, which, you know, that happens. But unless they're really, really powerful, I don't know how much weight that'll be. And then individuals and, and even more specifically, individuals outside of the United States of America. So... I don't know. You know, it's it's one of those weird things where I, I can see a lot of scenarios here, especially depending on like whoever can make a deal the fastest, I think in this scenario is going to fare yeah. the best. So I agree with that. which I think is why he is singing like a canary or will, will presumably be singing like a canary and was was happy to get out of the Palmas and go to the United States because. But yeah. 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 Wouldn't it be hilarious if at the end of this, this turned out to all be Larry David's fault in some yeah. curb your enthusiasm. Like, I mean, oh no. It's all him. It would be. Honestly, if they don't write this into the next, you know, season of Curb, then then they've like then like mistakes were made because 100%. because they have to. The because, ability to laugh at yourself and your mistakes, your terrible, terrible, careless mistakes is so important. It is, but also I will I will I will say this, and then we can move on to other thing. Here's the thing. I in no way uh, I will judge and will make fun of and like be like you really will do anything for money for the celebrity endorsements. But anybody who is trying to blame them for any of this, I'm sorry, that's complete and utter. You're gonna believe me here, but that's complete and utter. <laughs> like for celebrity endorsements, anybody who's gonna buy anything based on those things, celebrities are not responsible for the frauds that are committed by the company. And if frankly, if you invested in like if you put money in a crypto exchange. Because Larry David or Tom Brady told you to, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I really don't. Like, you wouldn't take financial advice from Matt Damon if he was walking down the street and he was like, absolutely not. Would I take financial advice from Matt Damon or Larry David? No, absolutely not. Would I, if I were Matt Damon or Larry David or myself, Simone de Rochefort, care about the things that I put my face and my name to and want to do due diligence and feel shame and personal responsibility. Yes, absolutely. I don't think we can, like, uh, it's not a criminal offense, but I do think just because you are, just because there's a line in your contract or in the script that says, this is not a, a considered well, yeah. a financial <laughs> advice, a valid financial advice, that doesn't mean they don't bear any responsibility for what they choose uh, to put their names to. Uh, no, I, like, I not case, legal, but just... as, a, as a human being. No. In this case, I'm actually going to completely disagree with you because so many massive institutions did do due diligence, or so they claimed, and said that this was completely on the level, right? Like Mm -hmm. this of all the companies, this is why this is such a scandal, because of all the companies to go belly up, this was the least one. This was the one that everybody was like, this is least likely to happen, right? Mm -hmm. Like if it was your typical like like Ponzi crypto thing, I would agree with you, right? Like the stuff that Logan Paul does, I 100% agree. We all know those are rug pulls. Anybody with eyes does. I don't think anybody could have told you reliably with any sort of without any sort of deep insider information, you know, like three months before this happened, that there was any chance of this even happening because mm-hmm. the people who did do due diligence and people who did claim to be on the level and people who did claim to be like good investors all said that it was fine. So, I mean, I think you can make the argument that these this is a, a an area where no one should probably do endorsements because we just <laughs> there, there's so much, you know, and, and I wouldn't disagree with that. But at the same time, like this to me seems like on its on the surface, this would have been a much less risky 
like endorsement thing than flat tummy tea. I, I'm just, That's fair. just being so, honest. So, so, so counterpoint though, like you realize what the outcome of this is going to be, Christine. The next time Simone gets a, a call from from Logan Paul, <laughs> and he's like, "Look, I need Simone to rush for from Polygon.com to endorse my product. Come on!" And she's going to be in some video with sunglasses, <laughs> like. Yo, I've been playing my game. Come on, y'all, join here and hatch me some Logan Paul eggs. And the then she's thing- going to get caught up in some scandal. <laughs> it's going to be awkward. And I will eat crow. The only thing I endorse <laughs> is Logan Paul's burgeoning wrestling career because he's actually a really oh, good he's wrestler. Good. Honestly, he's freaking great. I was watching a video of him the other day. He's so oh, good. It's what he's, oh, it's what he's, he's going to do. He's incredibly athletic. Like, he's incredibly- flying. And incredibly charismatic. So, like, we've yeah. all agreed for years on this show, like, the only good, like, both of them suck. But Jake Paul is awful and has no redeeming qualities at all. Yep. Logan Paul. We've been, yeah. He's charming. <laughs> we've been known he's to charming. peddle some Logan he Paul apology. He character on Law and Order. <laughs> I, I, I know. I, I, I know he did. I, I, know he did. I know he did. I know he did. I know he did, but he's charming. But no, my friend Justin, my friend Justin is like a massive, uh, massive wrestling fan, and he sends me wrestling stuff all the time, and I have no idea what he's talking about. But when the Logan Paul stuff started, I was like, would watch the clips, and I was like, oh my god, this guy's actually really good. All right, so we will continue to follow, of course, uh, Logan Paul's wrestling career as well as the Sam Bankman Freed uh, debacle uh, as that continues through the court system. Thank you. Welcome to the next five years of content. Here at Rocket. <laughs> yeah. All right. Our second big topic of the day, of the year, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> Confusion continues to reign at Twitter in a Twitter space on Tuesday of this week. Elon Musk compared Twitter to a plane hurtling toward the ground. Uh, and it's it, it's interesting that this should come up in a space because it's not the only jet-based, space-based drama that he got into this past week. But we'll cover that. Potentially later. This particular space was hosted by developer George Hotz. Um, Musk Geo-Hot. said... Yeah. <laughs> well, no, no, said, no, that's his name. He's, he's yeah. the guy who, who jailbroke the PlayStation, but I remember him from the when he was the first person to jailbreak the iPhone. Sorry, go on. 100%. <laughs> Good. Legendary. Um, said things, aside from, you know, Twitter being a crashing plane said things like allegedly Twitter had been on track for a negative cash flow of around $3 billion next year. He believes that now that he's made changes, Twitter will break even, or at least he says these things. Among those savings, of course, are something like 4,000 staff members laid off. Twitter has reportedly stopped paying rent on its offices, according to the New York Times, and has refused That's to pay cool. for private jet flights, uh, up to $200,000 in private jet flights. Uh, later in the week, Musk posted a Twitter poll asking... Should he step down as CEO? Uh, this was shared by everyone on the internet. Uh, 56% of people, I think, said yes, step down. He will not. Um, <laughs> he said, he re- he then replied in a follow-up uh, to that tweet saying, if I find someone stupid enough to replace me, uh, that's great. And I will go run the software and server teams and will, of course, still be the owner of Twitter. Um the cameo on Spaces was also notable because Spaces were just restored to the platform after a brief period of being down. Uh, do yep. we want to get into that at all? Shall I continue with my summary? <sighs> He's a baby. He's a baby. He took him down because people were meeting him on the internet. End of story. Yep. This whole this, yep. this, this whole thing seems to just be that he was mad that people were meeting him online, so we decided to buy the place where everybody dunks on him. 
and yep. yes. thinking the Dunkin' was going to go away, it has not gone away. All right. That, 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 that's my long and short of it. I think that's why he did the Twitter poll. I think he's got billionaire brain. And I think oh, yeah. he's so used to people surrounding him being like, oh, yes, Aaron, you use a crude term here. I'm sorry. That him, you know, like they're yep. so used to everyone around him him. And then like he's he he gets Twitter, and he's like, Well, th- these people are mean to me on Twitter, but if I put up a poll saying, Do you want me to leave? Surely I'm gonna win that like no one wants very handily. And yeah, of like, course. No, and and, no, and, 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 and it's like, no, everybody hates you. Even when 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 Geohot, who was like his intern who like came in and then like quit, was like, Yeah, I can't actually get anything done here, which was hilarious because he'd <laughs> Proceeded to insult all the previous engineers when he came in to join. He was yep. like, I just want to be an unpaid intern and I'll be able to totally, you know, make impact. And he was like, yeah, I was able to make no impact. It's like, so maybe the problem, like not to say that Twitter wasn't completely dysfunctional before um, Elon took over, because I, I think that it was. But maybe maybe uh, the dysfunction didn't get any better. That's all I'm saying. It doesn't seem hmm. to have improved. Can we can we give listeners just a quick rundown of this particular space? So what happens is you have a very specific uh, developer that comes forward on this uh, IGB on Twitter. Great account. This is Ian Brown. And he comes forward and uh, basically Geohot is interviewing uh, Elon Musk. And Elon comes forward and very confidently is like, oh, we just got to redo the whole code base. We got to, we got for maximum velocity. We got to, we got to just redo the code base. And then Ian Brown gets there and is asking him, like respectfully to most tech journalists, some of the most pointed follow-up I've ever seen anyone ask of Elon. He's asking a tough follow-up question. He's asking, you know, what's so tough about this? Like what about the stack is different than any other large tech company, uh, tech product? Help me understand here. What about this is so broken that you need to throw it all away and restart this for velocity? And Elon Musk just cannot answer it and calls him, I believe, um, an So it's it's a really telling moment that like a really straightforward question, like why do you need to refactor this entire code base? He he doesn't seem to have a good answer for it. Yeah, it it is, and that's kind of what part that that is part of what makes me now side eye these publicity shenanigans on Twitter, like the polls, because this isn't the first poll that he's posted that has essentially been used to dunk on him, which makes me wonder, I guess, about his intentionality behind it. And I know it's a completely fruitless exercise to try to uh, predict, examine, psychoanalyze anything that he's doing. Uh, (laughs) That being said, at, at this point... I, it's hard to imagine not having the self-awareness to realize that, like, you're going to be dunked on online when you do these things. <laughs> and, I mean, same with the, same with the Twitter space, to come into a space, like, where, where developers and engineers are talking as somebody who's not, you know, clearly just doesn't have that expertise at all. It, it just boggles the mind, if that makes sense. I, I don't know what he expects to get out of these things. And I struggle <laughs> to imagine I uh, thinking that it's going to go his way, considering how everything else has gone at Twitter so far. I, I don't know. I mean, like, again, like, I, I don't want to, like, psychoanalyze the guy too much. I don't actually care enough about him to try to do that. But 
I do think some of this has been for a while. Um, and I've argued on this podcast before that, like, I feel like he he basically wanted to buy this thing because he wanted to suck all the oxygen out of the room. And, and he likes being the main character every single day. Yeah. And he likes Even feeling popular and whatnot. On. Yep. Totally. He, he likes he likes the fact that every single tweet he has is, is a breaking news story, which is exactly what the, the media's failure with Donald Trump. They've repeated it again with him, which actually makes me very angry. Oh, no, we're um, at the media. Um, but uh, because we, we, we learn nothing, you know, we continue to just, you know, report every little thing he does, make it a breaking news story. But I think that for a while, things really were trending in his favor. And he had enough, uh, as you said, uh, breed enough people to support him that I don't think he quite realized how quickly the tenor changed. And maybe that's just his lack of self-awareness. Maybe it's, uh, you know, other things. I don't know. But but I, I just get get the sense that he was in kind of a rarefied bubble for a while. And there was a period of time, like, remember, he was on SNL, you know, and, and everybody was, I was uh, making fun of him and, and saying that he, I thought he was terrible and that the whole thing was awful. And people were yelling at me about it. And they were like, oh, how dare you? You know, like, you know, he's on the autism spectrum. Like, I give a sorry don't care uh he's still sucked on snl um and uh like if you're not funny you're not funny and i'm not gonna like apologize for my critique on that but people were really on his side and that is completely evaporated and every decision he's made in the past you know uh seven weeks has i think just deteriorated that goodwill even more so i i really agree with that i think elon kind of rose to prominence because if someone's doing the calculus of like having how can I put this? There's more to win now in dunking on Elon than sucking up to him. Like there's a huge downside in sucking up to him. Like it's well, there is and there's not acceptable. Yeah, there well, is and there's not where because you, you are. Yeah. Well, I was going to say because people who have actual power and actual money, this sure. is actually like one of the things you'll notice they're not dunking on him. Uh, Paul yep. Graham was the first person who was was openly like, I don't really do this, but even he had like. I still have faith that Elon could turn things around, but I'm but I'm leaving for now. And then um, Elon responded by that by by temporarily blocking his account. So you know, yep. there's there's a lot of stuff where I think that he um, like people still are afraid to hedge their bets. The other thing I'll say too is that now he's like, well, nobody wants the CEO job because of how difficult it is. And you had like literally like this entire like line of people volunteering be like I, I want the job like like in in absolute idiots like actual morons like Lex Friedman sorry he's an idiot uh, uh Fred Durst sorry he's an idiot like these other people who are like oh yes I I, I want to take on this job like it's it's uh it would be funny if it weren't so sad who is yeah. it John uh, uh what's his name the T-Mobile guy that you like so much uh, John Legere in the, uh, John, Legere. Uh, John Legere yeah he's in the running for it oh, like I mean uh, I, no Elon already told him Elon already told him no like yeah. like because he because he he'd uh, uh recommended himself like seven weeks ago he was way ahead of the term yeah and if anybody Ross could actually Gerber fix it is, I think I mean Ross, well it's a whole nother backstory but I, I I'm saying there are qualified people out there that want the job Right. I mean, Absolutely. I think he would be a massive step up. And I think he would have. We'll bring in Alan Mulally. I mean, honestly, if we want sure. to talk about people who've actually turned around uh, both um, uh, aerospace and the car industry, look at Alan Mulally. Like, honestly, I, I was I was talking about this with some friends the other day. Um, Alan versus Elon would actually be a really funny uh, slash interesting book mm -hmm. because the leadership styles between the two of them are so disparate. And you have the person who ran Boeing um, aircraft, um, aircraft and then uh, saved Ford versus 
whatever the hell Ilana's doing. Like, yeah, you know, but yeah. So in that space when they were, I guess, talking about the the stack and obviously Elon reacted very badly to being to ask that question. Uh, did they I guess did, did they go on to have any kind of productive conversation about it, Bria? I didn't actually like. No, I haven't seen the rest of the clip, which space. actually left me very suspect because, you know, I want to know what happened right after that. So, yeah, yeah oh. um, from what I understand, I didn't get to hear the whole thing, but I listened to some of it. These things evolve the way most of the time they devolve, which is if you try to uh, debate a narcissist, you're usually going to lose because they don't act rationally. And the only way to win a debate with a narcissist is either to not play or to be even more narcissistic than them. So, you know, Elon's not going to respond to anybody's typical debate tactics. That's also why, you know, like Lex Friedman would be such an idiotic choice to do anything with him um, because he's just a sycophant. Uh, who lies about his MIT credentials. So <laughs> all the Lex Friedman fans are going to be coming at me this week. Don't care. Stay mad. Yeah. You're Boy, spicy talk about today. Someone, talk about someone who has made a career out of <laughs> Elon. And it's like, oh, it's so like, I, I, I'm so torn on his channel because he's, he does generate interesting conversations with people but he's one of these dudes that, like, he's almost touching himself. Like, why he's like, and I'm nonpartisan. I see both sides. And we just, like, it's so much performative garbage. And he just seems so full of himself. And he doesn't interview many women, which drives me crazy. But that's Oh, all and, and he thing. interviewed Kanye because he was just so convinced yeah. that only he and his genius could convince Kanye that anti-Semitism is bad. It's like, okay, oh yes, yeah, so let's, let's interview the mentally ill man. And 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 convince him that that we're right. It, obviously, he didn't convince him of anything. So, yeah. Goodness gracious. Okay. <laughs> anyway, that, that was Christina hates Lex Friedman uh, and, and spouts about it on Rocket for for five minutes. Anyway. All right. So, uh, Twitter Twitter Spaces. I I do briefly want to touch on the I guess other the journalism situation that happened uh, before we wrap this up. For a long time, there's been uh, an account on Twitter called Elon's Jet uh, that it's a gross posts, account. Yeah, sure. the I agree. the information about um, Elon's private jet. Uh, when he took over Twitter, I think he specifically said he wouldn't ban that account. Uh, it did end yep. up getting banned, and then uh, journalists who went on to report about that banning and linked to the website where the information about the jet. Uh, came from which is publicly available information uh were then banned including uh oh my god drew harwell um Mm -hmm. that being said drew harwell was then able to appear in a twitter space (laughs) with uh katie notopoulos um so so was ryan mack like a bunch of the banned people like it it being being banned on twitter apparently didn't mean you couldn't uh appear in spaces which is really incredible and this is just kind of part of the i guess the clown show um and and maybe indicative about the state of Twitter's code after all. Who knows? Yeah, I was going to um, say, I was going to say, I was pretty sure that that actually like predated, I, I'm pretty sure that but probably predated um, uh, Elon's takeover. I don't know that definitively, but I can't imagine that that would have been something they introduced. Oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure that that is something that's been around for a while. But anyway, all, the, all these people got together to chat about it in a Twitter space and Musk showed up there um, to argue with them and claim, uh, actually, yeah, to to discuss, I guess, uh, what he later went on to call assassination coordinates of the jet. 
And since then, Ella Irwin, uh, Twitter's head of trust and safety, has confirmed to The Verge that Twitter's uh, TNC have been updated to ban, quote unquote, live location information, including information shared on Twitter directly or links to third party URLs of travel routes. Uh, Twitter Spaces was briefly taken down to fix uh, at per Musk the bug of banned people being able to appear in Twitter Spaces, uh, which I still find very funny. Um, and it has since been reinstated, of course, allowing this magical conversation um, with uh, George Hotz to happen. Um, yeah, it's just, and, and it's then just it, one thing for African after another over there. No, and and then and then there was the idiocy that happened. What was the Sunday? Because I was still sick, so I was I was only in and out on, on this part. But he basically said that if you used your account to promote any other social network, but it was only certain to find one. So it was like Mastodon, Facebook, Instagram. LinkedIn and Tumblr were allowed, uh, but 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 other ones were not. <laughs> then you, or if you had links to those places in your uh, bio, you were getting banned from Twitter, and they started like suspending accounts over this. They then there. This was when Paul Graham was like, "I'm out. You can find me on." Uh, and he linked to his blog, which had a link to his Mastodon, and um, Elon uh, banned him and then unbanned him for that. Um, they, you know, it took about three hours. That was also the night that he like did like the CEO poll. Like it took about three hours for them to do yeah. a 180 on that decision, but it was so dumb. I guess what I, what I am getting from this as we continue to talk about it is Twitter for a long time has been a big source of, of, of news stories. Cause it feels like it's a place where a lot of important people, or at least loudmouth people are running mm -hmm. around doing and saying things that are noteworthy yes. or at least entertaining. It feels increasingly with all of these, just all this chaos and all of these back and forths, like there are diminishing returns on talking about what is happening on Twitter because nothing yep. about it feels notable in the same way anymore. And, and maybe it never was. I, I think that's also debatable. But no, it, I mean, it, I it just I think, feels I think that, like yeah. this is increasingly a tempest in a teapot where this is this is no longer affecting the world in the same way that it felt like Twitter once did. Yeah, no, I mean, it, he's kind of ruined, like, look, Twitter's always been narcissistic navel-gazing and has only been, uh, has been massively more successful than its financials or its users were because the primary people who were on Twitter are the people who make the news. Um, you know, politicians, journalists, and uh, celebrities, like, literally the worst people on the planet are the people who spend the most time on Twitter. And I say this as someone who's addicted to Twitter. I'm absolutely... Uh, you know, guilty of all those things. But when it's become so navel gazing that even like the dumbness and just, you know, and, and it's just these brief periods of idiocy that are sort of entertaining, but also mostly just sad. Uh, I, I agree with you. I think that it's like Twitter is this isn't even entertaining anymore, which which is, you know, depressing. It, it's definitely turned darker. I, I do want to note that Tesla had an extremely, extremely, extremely bad week on the stock mm. market. I mean, just yesterday, it dropped uh, more than $10, losing, I believe, 9% of the value. Came back a little bit uh, today. The entire market was up today. But um, you know, I, I can say, speaking for myself, um, you know, part of why I am tweeting a lot about Elon, it, it, it isn't because I think he's particularly newsworthy. It's like a, a swear to God strategy, because I think when you really start reading and understanding 
um, this man and his history and the the biography he's kind of sold the public, it's just not there. It's as fictitious as the Republican that just won in New York uh, in his house race on a completely fake biography. And you know, my mission objective is to talk about that and kind of raise the awareness of this so the stock price goes down and, you know, hopefully eventually so it's going to be forced to get better leadership in there. Um, you know, I think hopefully, I, 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 my goal is eventually Twitter getting sold to a bank uh, who will put an adult in charge because I think this pathway for Twitter is just not tenable. Mm. Well, we will see uh, what continues to, to develop and what we continue to, de- to deem newsworthy about Twitter. As we continue to, I, I hope next week it. we don't have to talk about Twitter. <laughs> well, next week is going to be our end of the year episode, so I think Fair. that we can put a moratorium on that, except when we are talking about our. Although well, like, no, we have to talk about it for end of the year because it's a thing well, that happened. Well, obviously, it's gonna be but like I just mean most effed company. <laughs> yeah, but that's FTX. Oh. Okay. Well, that's the debate you're going to hear next week. Uh, let's get into <laughs> today's dessert. All right, and for our final segment today, we have a very, very special guest, and that person is Jake Adelstein. He's an investigative journalist and writer based in Japan. You can find his writing at The Daily Beast, Vice, The Japan Times, and many more, and in a book, a whole book called Tokyo Vice, an American reporter on the police beat in Japan. That name might sound familiar. Yes, he has been adapted. It has been adapted into an HBO show. Uh, Jake is in the show, a character based on him. Uh, But now he is helming a new podcast, The Evaporated, Gone with the Gods, co-hosted by Shoko Plambeck, or co-researched and created by Shoko Plambeck, which is about disappearances in Japan. Every year in Japan, 80,000 people go missing. The podcast explores where they go, why they vanish, and how it happens. Jake, welcome to our show. It is such a pleasure to materialize on your show. I'm a a huge fan. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I, I want to tell you, you know, Jake, uh, I I see this. I want to tell how I became familiar with your work. I'm I'm looking through HBO and there's this beautiful ad with uh, Ken Watabe and, um, you know, it's in purple neon. It's gorgeous. And it's called Tokyo Vice. And I'm like, oh, that sounds like an interesting streaming show. I'll click on that. Like I'm running. It is so rare that you finish a show and then immediately start it over and then rewatch it in the streaming era because everything's just like disposable, you know, it's into the ether, it's gone. It is that amazing a show. So I watched the show twice and then I read your book and it is even better than the show. And then I realized you've had this long investigative journalism career where you're doing like things like uh, these great pieces where you get actual Yakuza to go like look at the Yakuza game on PlayStation. (laughs) And it like, you've had the most mind blowing career. So thank you so much for being on our show today. I I am delighted to be here. Um, You know, I, uh, I've never been, like a, a fast gamer, but I, I had a very brief period of time where I was assigned to cover, you know, computer games for the Yomiuri when I was there. Um, and I was a, a junkie for a short time, I, I think. But <laughs> I think it was actually the golden age of computer games because I was reviewing like System Shock 2 and Thief. 
um, which which even now I think has not really been surpassed. Um, I mean, you know, maybe okay, maybe it has been surpassed because I haven't really played games in a long time, but they were they were kind of incredible. Well, that, that's quite a jump from uh, from games writing to crime writing. Were those things happening simultaneously, or was that just kind of a a condition they, of they were at the time? They, they were at. Uh, I was with the National News Department. We mostly covered crime, but then you know, this is a period of time when it's like the internet. Like, why well, somebody made a homepage? Let's write an article about it. That's exciting. Like internet <laughs> options. Um, and of course, this is Japan. So, the first big internet ipo was a company called liquid audio and it quickly turned out that they were they were been um taken over by the yakuza and that yakuza money had been invested in them and so quickly my you know my short stint on covering multimedia became you know the dark side of the web you know <laughs> internet fraud um yakuza infiltrating the you know stock companies and stuff so uh, i did have this connected this brief period of time where i was like playing big games and writing reviews you know was exciting. Yeah, there's a lot of NFT fraud uh, you could write about today in the game <laughs> industry. So, so um, let's let's get this out of the way up front. There is a scene in Tokyo Vice where the character based on you does heroin with a source <laughs> to get them to talk. Th- so th- that was methamphetamines, by the way, not heroin. Methamphetamines. Okay. I, okay. I regret the era. So does Japan just have a different set of journalistic ethics? Oh. He talks about this in the podcast. He mentions it. Um, I, I, I have never done meth. Um, uh, and when it terms it comes to journalistic, journalistic ethics, uh, questionable snuff. Uh, I think that my hometown newspaper, which is the Columbia Daily Tribune, you know, wrote this review of the book years ago, and uh, it was such a stinging review that I, I almost haven't memorized. But it was <sighs> like, it was like Jake Andelstein, while growing up in Columbia, Missouri, which has one of the best journalism schools in the, in the world, and this is it's our local paper, right? Uh, one of the best journalism schools in the United States. Never attended the University of Missouri School of Journalism because if he had, he wouldn't have broken most of the ethics that journalists have to follow. <laughs> Oh my God! Oh wow. no! Well, well, also look. Wait, 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 it goes on. It gets worse. It goes on. Oh wow! <laughs> he slept with sources. He rummaged through garbage bins to find to find evidence and threatened uh, and or blackmailed people to get scoops. And I read that and I thought, Am I doing something wrong? <laughs> <laughs> Well, look, you might not have gone to Mizzou, but how many Mizzou grads, honestly, like I know that they're very high on their own supply, but like how many Mizzou grads, honestly, like even get to write memoirs, like and have them turn into TV shows and do other stuff. So, I mean, now we're attacking the University of Missouri. I mean, you know, I, I we, you know, in Japan. Uh, you know, we did none of us went to journalism school. You, that's not how it works here. You, you graduate, you take a test, the company hires you, and you know, you you learn sort of situational ethics, which are very simple, which is write the truth, protect your sources. If you can't write the truth and protect your sources, then give up on the story or find another source. That was it. And it was like everything else was bluffing, you know, intimidation. Rum, yeah. rum, rummaging through garbage i got you know and my, my boss patted me on the head like brilliant like you know which you you did you know you knew where to go to find the good garbage and that's, i mean you also know. look that's awesome <laughs> ethics aside on that like that is legal because in most in most jurisdictions i don't know about all countries but like in the united states it's certainly legal because it is considered like well it's it's trash so you have given up like your your sense of privacy on that which is why people need to shred things um 
Now, what uh, in the British press, what a number of them were uh, were uh, charged with was a little bit different when they hacked people's phones, and and that's so that's a little different. Mm, but going through yeah. going through the trash, I mean, yeah. people have literally like you know. Look, let's never forget Joseph Pulitzer invented yellow journalism. Let's let's just oh yeah, like, that's true. That's know? true. So so like speaking yeah. of of Tokyo Vice, that's been renewed for another season on HBO Max. Um, are you, obviously they did depict you falsely doing meth with the stores, but <laughs> outside of that, uh, are you are you involved with the production of that at all, or do you want to say anything about? That oh yeah, I, 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 am, I, I am deeply involved with the production of that. Um, I know Yay. that we left the audience with a bunch of cliffhangers, like yeah. you know. Is um, you know, is Sato alive? Is Miyamoto alive? You know, what's going to happen next? And we we do answer all those questions. Um, I am just actually, so the next season is ten episodes. This yes. first one was eight episodes. Was ten that's episodes. Awesome. I don't gotta, think that's you, a secret. You, you, no, uh, but that's awesome. You got to pick up and like a, a you know extra extra added. That's fantastic. I will tell you that we do not, unless somebody completely rewrites the finale, we do not leave you with. A cliffhanger. We do not leave you going like, "Oh no, what happened?" There is a sort of <laughs> resolution, so you don't feel like I, you know, I can't live without seeing season three. Now, uh, those things can change, but right now, I'm like, "Oh yeah," you know, this is. I mean, I didn't want to complain, but I got to season eight, and I'm, I'm like, "Do you know that moment in a streaming show where you're looking for episode nine and it's not <laughs> there, and you're like, no." When it gets to the no. end and it's like shows like suggested the next show and you're like, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> if you liked Tokyo Vice, you might like Westworld, the Samurai I'm World like, episode. No, I don't. <laughs> or, um, or, or, or The Wire, frankly, right? Because um, um, uh, season five, uh, season five. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, okay, five, the Wire. Like an okay substitute. Anyway, anyway, should we talk about The Evaporated? Sure, we should. But I, but I will tell you one other thing that's yeah. really fun about this show, um, which you may or may not know, is that the the showrunner, which for people who are not part of who are not part of running TV shows, is, is like the one person who sort of makes sure that everything goes in goes in place and that oversees all the scripts. Kind of like a combination of producer, director, coach. Um, that is my high school buddy, J.T. Rogers. So he grew oh, up to be wow. he grew up to be a successful playwright. He wrote a play called Oslo, and he won the Tony. So he is kind of the force behind the the whole show coming together. Wow! So you know, I'm going over to his place on Friday um, to you know to go over the last three episodes and hammer out some things that are possible and not possible. So it's nice. It's great That's to work really with awesome. people you like. Um, I, I did want to ask you, and we're going to obviously get on to your next thing, but what was the adaptation process like for you? Because um, I, I, cause I've read a lot of other, I've read, you know, things from um, other people who've done this. David Simon, again, who obviously created The Wire, but, you know, he did um, uh, Homicide, uh, uh, Year on the Killing Streets, which was then adapted into a TV show. And, and there have been other examples of people whose, like, real life have been then adapted into things. What was that process like for you? Um, as, you know, especially someone who's been working, who continue to have a career for another decade after you wrote, you know, the book, um, you know, uh, was it surreal uh, or were you able to kind of almost view it as, okay, this is now a separate piece from, from my actual experiences? It, it was surreal. I mean, and, you know, and there's, and, you know, the process of development, you know, development hell, as you know, is like, it was once supposed to be a movie. Yeah. There are multiple versions of the original screenplay. There was this really funny point in time when, when Ryan Gosling, you know, himself expressed interest in doing it and he Amazing. hated this and he hated the script that he had been handed and he said i want what? something closer to the book and so i was on the phone with jt 
you know, my, my buddy from high school and, and, you know, one of these Hollywood producer guys. And they were like, you know, if, you know, and of course they're like, you know, if Ryan, you know, I guess it's suddenly if they're like on a first name basis, you know, if Ryan wants it, you know, closer to the original and gritty, I, you know, that's, you know, I think what we're going to have to do. And I was like, well, you know, if that's what Ryan wants, I guess that's what we're going to have to do. Yeah. We're all on board with that. And, you know, he hung up and JT was like, Adelstein, you, you know, Adelstein, you son of a bitch. Like, you know, I'm going to have to rewrite the entire script for man. You're not doing any, you're not doing any work on it. And I'm like, Hey, it's what Ryan wants. You know? It's what Ryan wants. It's got to feel okay to be like, Oh, closer to the book. You say the book, yeah, yeah. Like, like, you like the like, book. Oh, Ryan please, likes the book. Uh, yeah, please don't throw me into the briar patch. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the output of it is it's, it's pretty close to it. What, what I find really interesting is the character of Lucy. There's, there's another, Another book by another journalist written about her. This interpretation of Lucy is so like, you know, you see a show like Tokyo Vice, and I, I've talked to you about this. Like, I was really worried. She there's so many ways you could write this character and have her be like a damsel in distress, or you know, the sex worker, or objectified, or you know, just this weak character. And the actress you have playing her and her arc is so fierce and believable and her inner conflict is so compelling. Like she's one of these actresses that every single second she's on the screen, you just can't take your eyes off of her because there's so much like beneath the surface in what's going on. Like really just a 10 out of 10 oh, character. Yeah, I Rachel, did, Rachel did an amazing job of preparation. So um, not only was she asking like lots of questions, um, but you know, I, my, one of my roommates used to be a hostess in Ginza. So we, you know, took him for Rachel together for a couple hours and she was learning all the, the tricks of the trade stuff. She's a great study. Um, the one thing about the process, and we'll, we'll talk about the evaporated is that the, the character of Sato, the young Yakuza who's rising up at the same time, I'm, is loosely based on someone I actually went to college with who ended up joining the mafia. And that's a long, weird story. Wow. But I really, you know, I didn't really want to turn this show to turn into like, you know, you know, like, like Yakuza Vice. So the the, right. you know, the the bargain I made with JT was like, okay, I will I will work hard and help you make a believable Yakuza storyline. Um, but you have to give Jake's makes Jake's boss a woman. So there's representation of these, you know, these women in the in the Japanese news department have it really tough. Yeah. And so that, you know, so it sort of symbolizes all the female reporters I want. So we have a very strong female character. She's gonna be his boss and she's gonna have her own Amazing. story. And not just be like, you know, there to riff off the great white savior. Um, and, uh, and you know, he lived up to that. So I'm very happy with the, with the way the show developed in that sense. Yeah, it's much more a show about journalism than it is about the Yakuza, in my opinion. I mean, that's the most compelling parts of it, uh, I find. So, yeah, let's let's talk about The Evaporated. Uh, you know, all of this starts with a mystery. <laughs> you are trying to file your taxes, and your accountant just mysteriously disappears. What was it, 10 days before they're due? Do you want to tell people about this? Like, oh, what yeah, happened yeah. to kind of start this, uh, just to kick this off? So. Um, you know, you know, this is like about 2018 and, you know, I have like multiple jobs and revenue streams because I work for Japanese publications, U.S. publications. So it's complicated and I'm not good with numbers. It's probably why I got assigned to organized crime and not, you know, the color <laughs> crimes unit. Um, then this accountant, Morimoto, is this, you know, very nice young kid, um, who I'd been working with for years. He did my corporate registration when I set up a little LLC and 
I noticed in 2017, it was a little harder to get a hold of him. I mean, we basically met once a month, like once a month, you know, like, and we'd have a, like a long lunch and I'd give him my shoebox full of, of uh, receipts. Actually, I can put up here, actually. So I'd give him my shoebox and he'd sort everything. And he did, he did a great job on my taxes. And then comes, you know, it's like March 5th. And he suddenly, not only does he disappears, but there's this kind of messaging service in Japan that everyone uses called Line. He had this little soccer ball that was his, like, I, you know, his um, icon. And you call it an icon or avatar. And it's gone. And he's totally, you know, off the, you know, off the, you know, it, nobody can reach a hold of him. And this other guy who I'd introduced to him, who is um, someone I worked with for many years, we call him Steve in the program. He's like, you know, Morimoto's gone. Nobody knows where he is. And he's like, and people are really upset. And Steve is kind of a scary guy too, because used to be like bodyguard. And uh, anyway, so Steve is upset. We're all upset. We're looking for Morimoto. Um, and, uh, and it was just, you know, and, but the, the nice thing is, and this says that a lot of things about Japanese bureaucracy is that I, mean, I went to my local city hall, right? I'm like, uh, I'd like to file my taxes, but my accountant has run off with the money I paid him in advance and all my receipts and everything I have and I have absolutely no records. And they were like, oh, this happens. <laughs> oh my this god happens. <laughs> this happens and they were like they were like did, could you did you file a report with the police and i said i tried to but they you know they they didn't really accept it because they said they couldn't prove they committed fraud and they couldn't immediately move theft the only thing i could you know accuse them of theft is like stealing my bo- shoe box which he hasn't you know given back to me and they're like so we understand um so can you hold on and so they i they went back in the room the conference and like 30 40 minutes later they come out one more time like could you notify the national tax authorities. And I'm like, no, I didn't. I said, okay, well, we'll handle that. So an hour passes, they come out and they said, how much do you think you made after, after expenses last year? And I'm like, like, you know, pure profit, like maybe $30,000. And they said, okay, can you pay $4,000 in taxes right now? And I said, oh my God, yes, I could. And so they said, there's an ATM out there. And I went to the ATM and <laughs> took out my money and put my cash on the table and they filled out a form and, Oh put my, my stamp, my official seal on it, and I was done. And so I, you know, wow. so and so the anger I might have felt if I had to hire another accountant and start all over was right. kind of mitigated <laughs> by the fact that, you know, so it was just a curious thing to me. I'm like, you know, whatever happened to Morimoto, like, you know, and you know, it sounded like he was in a lot of trouble. And so come 2020, and Josh Dean at Campside Media, you know, reaches out to me and he's like, hey, you know, we're talking to Sony Music Entertainment. They want to do a podcast in Japan. And, uh, um, and I want to do it about this topic of missing persons. And I'm, I don't know, Josh, you know, I'm like, I mean, it interests me. And I, I have a story. I'm, I, I would love to do it, but I don't, you know, I don't know if we can make eight episodes of a podcast, and, you know, and I have never done a podcast. He said, why don't you research it? So at the time I was working with Mari Yamamoto um, for the Daily Beast. So we did many projects together for much since 2015. So she is an actor and a journalist. So a good Japanese journalist, a good English journal. So he wrote a lot of stuff for the Daily Beast. So I'm like, Mari, like, this could be an interesting project. Both you and I could do it. You, you've got the, you know, you've got the, you've got, the, you know, not only are you a good writer, but you've got the act, you know, you're a good researcher and you're a journalist, but you've got a good voice. I mean, you know how to act things. We have a script. You can actually make it come alive. And she's like, this is great. So he did it. We wrote up everything and then comes, you know, 2021. We're in like November and Mari gets a role in Pachinko. Um, she plays Hannah. Oh, wow! Um, uh, uh, Solomon's like um, childhood love. Uh-huh. Um, 
And that's you know, a really great role, but it's also a really demanding role. And it certainly pays a lot better than the podcast place. Not that I'm compa- complaining about the pay, but it, it's a lot better. Sure. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, here we are. We, you know, we have the material for the podcast. I mean, we, we have an outline of what we want to do. But my my partner is gone. And, you know, and we sort of sold Sony on this as like, you know, hey, Sony, like we will have, you know, it'll be Jake Adelson, this investigative journalist, and we'll have another female Japanese journalist. So it's kind of balanced. And, it, you know, people can't say that it's like, you know, all outsiders looking at Japan is people are actually, you know, Japanese and female, and it's a nice balanced cast. They work well together. And, uh, you know, and here I am with no partner. And so I'm sort of desperately looking for a partner because we've just gotten the go sign. And I remembered that there's Shoko Plumbeck who um, worked for the Japan Times for a year and has worked for Spotify and other places. She had a very varied career um, and gets a lot of, and a lot of gigs as a model here. Um, and she had just moved back to Vermont, right? So I'm like, okay, got this podcast. And also the curious thing about Shoko as you listen to the podcast is, is her, her father got in trouble with the law. Um, and she and her whole family had to like leave, you know, Vermont and go hide out in Totori for a couple of years. So she understands what it's like to be on the run to sort of suddenly vanish. Um, so, you know, what a great partner for this. So I sent her, you know, an email, probably like, I'm actually on Instagram, I sent her like a message at like, you know, probably three in the morning or you know six in the morning, her time. Okay, Shoko, I know you've just moved back to Vermont. I know you've said goodbye to everybody in Japan and you're getting ready to go to graduate school, but there's this great podcast about missing people. Would you like to do? Yeah. And, uh, and then she wrote me and, back. I mean, don't get me wrong. You're great <laughs> in it, but she's also really, really good. So That's actually, yeah. What I was yeah. going to ask about was just that collaborative process of researching and writing this. Um, obviously, you've worked with other people in your in your written work before, but you, this is your first podcast. What was that process of working with Shoko like for you? It was wonderful. I mean, you know, you know, I, I, I would like to pride myself that except for my 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 sixth sense about my accountant being wrong, that I have usually a pretty good sense of people. I mean, well, was it wrong or did he just have some stuff? I was going to say, I was going to say, because honestly, like this got you like a podcast. So, well, um, my, uh, my, he definitely, he definitely had a lot of stuff going on. And she listened to the podcast. She realized that, you know, that maybe if you had more and more, you would have been on the run as well. Um, Sure, sure, um, but 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 I'm just saying this this paid out this 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 like worked out well for you is all I was trying to say. Yeah, 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 it like, worked out very well. Like for like me. like yeah yeah yeah. The the m- most of the time I would think like you know your accountant absconding with your receipts and your tax records and everything would be like awful situation where there'd be like no good coming out of it. And in this case, it's like well, not only was the government actually like sort of competent, um, and and you got that taken care of, but you know you got like this this out of it. But so, you know, my, my gut instinct about Shoko was that Shoko was an incredibly hard worker and a perfectionist. And her reputation, you know, professionally was really good as someone who's reliable, always shows up, who does the job. She's very smart. She's very funny. Um, you know, I know that she sort of, sort of like makes a lot of money as a model, but I just sort of see her as this sort of mischievous gremlin because she has this really <laughs> talent for sort of like, like – poking people and you know sort of getting them to quarrel with each other and watching an amusement and and that's kind of a jerkless thing there. I, I have to I, say I that people was my say favorite that about part. me oh yeah i can totally see that simone like you're the yeah. troublemaker on this show for sure <laughs> no but i was gonna say like you can see that about her because you're like playing kind of the 
the straight man and she's there like causing chaos on the show. And it's oh, just yeah, beautiful yeah. to watch. But, but, so. while, but while she is causing chaos, she is actually, you know, you know, the 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 part of the podcast that you don't see is like the struggle to find voice actors and the you know the incredible amount of reading that goes into that and then you know yep. and discussing strategy like how do we how do we get you know how do we get a hold of you know morimoto like there's a way you have a pulse here's an avenue i mean she tried to catfish him on a couple of, of dating sites oh and i was like hey, i'm like you know like good for you like that's that's brilliant um, there says japanese journalistic ethics account like <laughs> yeah well well, so you know, she even got her little yeah. sister to, to to do the same. So you know, oh, there, there we are. You know, that's uh, funny. So I wanted to ask you, not to get uh, too serious here, but like, um, so you're telling the story of your accountant going missing, but this isn't just like this one story. Like this is a, you're almost talking about in some ways it's a service with people uh, to actually just help them disappear. And one of the more serious parts of your show uh, is you have several episodes uh, dedicated to basically how you disappear from the situation with domestic violence. Uh, you know, you note how uh, even the terrible protections we have here in this country, uh, somehow, you know, uh, police in Japan have a reputation for doing even less. And oh, yeah, yeah. You interview a very colorful, awesome woman I want to be besties with uh, that kind of specializes in in helping women in this situation. Do you want us to, to tell us a little bit about that? So, you know, people disappear in Japan um, for many reasons. And in this podcast, you know, we, the, the the story of the accountant is kind of the narrative thread that weaves them together. Um, but there's an entire infrastructure that's dedicated to helping people vanish because it's needed. And that includes people that will broker you new identity papers. And because, the, what you know, what is required to um, establish an identity in Japan, um, almost none of it is photo ID. It's deceptively easy. And there are these weird, you know, things where you can get adopted by someone older than you. This is a system that was originally designed to keep like family companies sort of with the same name, right? You know, so if right. I'm running Mitsubishi Motors, and I, you know, my son is taking, you know, and and I don't have a, I don't have a, you know, I don't have a son. Um, my, you know, my, my, you know, I adopt my my wife's, uh, I, I adopt my, sorry, I adopt my my daughter's husband is part yeah. of my family, and then Nintendo the name carries going on, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And that is also a wonderful way to disappear, right? Your your name disappears from your family registry. You you start off with a new last name. Um, maybe your first name can identify you in Japan, but very unlikely. And that is a wonderful way to, to achieve a new identity. Or you can um, literally take over someone's identity, you know, like a homeless person who's about your age or things. There's many ways to do it. Um, so... One thing we get into the show is we we definitely look at that, and there are also manuals. Which this is one of my favorite episodes, which I don't think is out yet. The the um, or the one where I think we were going to mention Logan Paul, but we decided we didn't want to give him any publicity <laughs> at all by even mentioning his name. Um, uh. um, and, and there are these these manuals of how to vanish. There's like four different ones. Um, the most famous one came out in 1990, I think, in 1994 which is the complete manual vanishing. And it tells you like step-by-step, not only how to vanish, but how to steal someone's identity and not get caught and how to forge your own identity. Um, And the publisher of this book also published another famous book in Japan called The Manual of Suicide. And that's also something we get into those things because 
you know, we talked to this very famous professor who's written a like a one, you know, like a 600 page book on the sociology of vanishing in Japan, which is fascinating. And he says, you know, you might think that people who commit suicide um, aren't vanished, but to the people who are missing them, they are. And often people in Japan will, you know, um, carry no ID with them when they go into the suicide forest. Are they? Are are? It's very common for people to check into a hotel and then, um, and then kill themselves there with no ID, with no money, with nothing, no wallet or anything. Um, this was a surprise to me because as a foreigner, I always get. You know, whenever I have to check into a hotel, they always ask for a passport or ID or something. Right. But for Japanese people, no, you just show up and put down the cash. There's no checks. You don't show any ID. You just write your name down and a phone number. And that's another aspect of this, you know, of the vanishing we wanted to look at. Um, you know, these people who are who commit suicide and are not identified. Yeah. Yeah, you also one of the the stranger things that you talk about is there are literally Christina, you could probably use this at some point of your life. There are services there that will move you out of your apartment at midnight. Oh, they are yeah, the night movers. The Yakuza. <laughs> yes, that was so crazy to read about. Like you could just be Christina. Gone. I, but, but, no, but, but no, I, I love the implication, Christina. You're probably going to need to disappear in the close of darkness about the crimes you wouldn't commit. It's called I, a I, callback. I, I, yes, I, 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 I know. I'm just, I'm, I'm just pointing that out. That, that, that. Yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> trust me, I was already thinking in I my head. I was like, okay, say, Christina, you would never need to use this. I meant yeah. to exactly. Thank you. Clearly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 what what a way to get out of student debt, right? You know, just become oh, somebody else. Oh. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, so but question for you. Okay, so the last edition of this book was published in like the 1987. You said or or uh, oh no, 1994. 90, 94. Okay. Is it still like is that playbook still accurate? Like, could could, could can it, can people still use that reliably to disappear themselves? Yes, there's still a lot of it that's really valid. There's been other books that came out, including my favorite, the Super Introductory Guide to Vanishing, that came out in like 2011. Um, that was you know with with it also has kind of a flow chart, like you know what kind of evaporation are you looking for? <laughs> you know, like you know like a temporary evaporation. Do you want to completely evaporate? You know, or do you want to evaporate for a year and come back? Wow. Um, and, and we, all, we also discuss some, you know, we also devote an episode to this, to this very strange case of a French woman named Tiffany Verol, yeah, who checked into her hotel, I think on July 29th, 2018. And, um, I mean, she, she checked out of her hotel. She didn't check out of her hotel. She left her hotel at 10 AM and was never seen again. Not a trace of her. No, 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 no iPhone no clothes, nothing. She's been missing for like four years. Um, as an example of some very, you know, bizarre vanishings in Japan. And we even have an actual discussion of uh, a case in which, oh, you know, uh, a middle-aged woman went with her family to this Japanese shrine, well, you know, like to the gods, right? And said, I'm going to go pay my respects to the shrine and you know, took her red umbrella out of the car and, you know, went up to the shrine and disappeared and like mm. was never seen again. That's almost, I think it's been almost 10, 15 years. Oh my um, goodness. I mean, that's a, you know, kamikakushi is the Japanese term for a mysterious disappearance, which is, and it's a term that's been around for probably hundreds of years, you know, which means hidden by the gods. And that was the closest we could come to finding actually someone who seemed to have been snatched by the gods themselves. 
Wow. Well, it is an amazing series, and everyone listening to Rocket should definitely go check it out. If you want just to listen to a good story, like the narrative aspects of the whole series are are what sell it. it it's fantastic. Like, rate it. That helps people find it. Um, and just thank you for this work. Um, I just, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And thanks for letting me uh, listen to the whole thing uh, before it was all officially released. I appreciate that. You're very welcome. I'm so glad that people are enjoying it. I'm, I realized that it's not like most podcasts. There's a lot of humor there. It's kind of sort of more like an anthology than one serious story. But, you know, maybe this is one of those cases where actually being amateurs was beneficial because we're like, oh, we don't want to sound like every other podcast. And, and, Shoko was highly instrumental in that too. She was kind of like, you know, it's 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 different. We're, we're we have a different set of circumstances we're working with. We're interviewing people in Japanese. We have to translate that into English. Then we have to find voice actors that don't sound like voice actors. Yeah. To yeah. to yeah. to accurately represent these people. Hundred percent. Can do you have any advice on where people can find the podcast or follow you online if they would like to do so? Oh, sure. If you would like to follow me online, you can follow me on Instagram at Tokyo Vice. I'm glad I took that one early. Um, <laughs> yes, for real. Dang, dude. Uh, on Twitter at Jake Adelstein. And uh, The Evaporated Gone with the Gods is available on Apple, Spotify, Audible, wherever you get your podcasts, as Sony makes me say over and over. Well, we'll put a link to that in our show notes. I have one last question before uh, for you before we end this. Sure. Uh, in Tokyo Vice, uh, uh, Kim Watabe drives a gorgeous, utterly gorgeous 70s Z car that I lust after so much in every single episode. <laughs> so my question is, if I give you a dump truck of money, can you get me that car and then can you help me disappear because my husband will literally murder me <laughs> if I buy another sports car? Um, I'm going to send you an introduction to some free Japanese lessons. We could we could make that happen. But you're going to have to vanish in Japan because that's the okay. only place it's going to work. <laughs> I could do that. That Z car. Oh, my God. It's the most stunning example you, I've you know, ever I, seen. I, I love that car. Um, uh it's not I, in the book, so I was it's, curious about that. It's not in the book. That. No, yeah. no. Sekiguchi Chiaki-san, who is the detective, you know, who sort of that uh, Kantakiri-san is based on, uh, was into cars, but he didn't have a really great car. Um, my my father has his first car, which is a 1964 Corvette. And, oh wow! Uh, and and car people really hate me when I say this, and you know, I've never learned to drive stick shift, so I've never. <gasps> <laughs> Hey, Ouch. same. So, <laughs> well, that was a great show. Goodbye, for <laughs> Bye, everybody. No, don't no, check out his podcast. Do not rate and review it. <laughs> but, but if you ever come to Columbia, Missouri, you, you're welcome to drive it. You're welcome to drive it. Thank Aww. you very much. Well, there you go, Bree. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that was enemy of the show, Jake. <laughs> And you know where to find him online now. And he will be returning in our bonus segment at the end of the show for subscribers. Thank you so much, Jake. Anything else you'd like people to know before we take them out? No, just thank you very much. And can please listen to this show. I love this show. It's one, it makes me laugh every time. So much sometimes some coffee comes out of my nose. <laughs> <laughs> that I, I thank you for the compliment. Thank you. Okay. I accept it. All right. I'll stick around for the bonus section. Thank you. Great. Uh, let's talk about what we're doing this week. Uh, Christina, why don't we start with you? What are you up to? Well, I am finally recovered from COVID. Um, and so I'm not sleeping 
14 hours a day anymore, which is fantastic. And I'm in Atlanta with my family, and uh, it's going to be baby's first, uh, well, his second Christmas, but the first one that he's actually like walking uh, oh, cool. for. So um, we got him. him a Thomas the, the Tank Engine like ride-on toy because he likes trains, and it'll both like ride like independently and on like a little circular track. So very excited to uh, to see that cuteness. Um, follow my Instagram for videos. But yeah, I'm just with my family. Uh, went to the dermatologist today. That was that's always a good time. Fun. And, uh, Congrats. Yeah. yeah. <gasps> Best day of the year. Going to the dermatologist. Totally. Love. Hey, I, look, look. I got a I got a retin-A prescription. So like, oh, I, my, so you know my uh, my continued anti aging prowess is is only going to get better. So yeah. Congrats, <laughs> Brianna. What about you? Uh, I'm getting ready for Christmas. Uh, to be honest, I'm trying to close up a million projects. Um, through the end of the year. And uh, honestly, it's just trying to finish everything up so I can take a week off. Yeah. Uh, same. I had my last day of work today, actually. So I will be off and I will be doing nothing for the rest of the week. Woo-hoo! Let me tell you, I'm going to be enjoying spending time with my mom, watching a lot of TV and relaxing here in my hometown. All right. Uh, Brianna, where can we find you online? Brianna Wu on Twitter. And Christina. You can find me film underscore girl on Twitter and Instagram. Um, film girl on GitHub and the videos that I do at work at youtube.com slash GitHub. All right. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram and everywhere at Doom Quasar and at youtube.com slash polygon. If you are a Rocket Booster member, thank you so much for supporting us financially and enjoying an ad-free show. Although this week, everyone did get an ad-free show, but only you will get a bonus segment where Jake is going to come back and talk to us about uh, his life and some of of my favorite work of his. Um, So thank you so much. If you want to learn more about how you can support the show, go to Relay.fm slash membership. And if uh, you want to support the show in a different way, you can review us on Apple Podcasts. If you leave us a review, it helps people find the show. Um, and that uh, is is a cool thing that is help. we need people to listen to the show. It, people, people listening to the show is what makes the show happen, really. It's not us sitting here in front of a computer recording. It's people listening. Um, so thank you, everyone who has done that so far. We really, really appreciate it. And I hope that you all have a lovely weekend. This episode of Rocket is terminated. 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 Terminated.